Hello, and welcome to the Carrier's Edge Podcast, episode 39. Already I'm getting scowled at. Because why are you talking like that? I don't know. I thought I'd do something different. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Jane Jezrawi, co-founder of Carrier's Edge. Hey. And slow talker here is... Well, now I'm really going to be a slow talker. Then I'm leaving. I can go upstairs at any time. Uh, hi, and welcome to the Carrier's Edge podcast, episode 39. I'm Mark Morrell, co-founder of Carrier's Edge. And, and with re- me, as always, is <laughs> scowly mixed dark clouds. <laughs> All right. What are we talking about today? Well, I think uh, we should start with the thing that we're in the middle of right now. Best Fleets, the Best Fleets to Drive For program, nominations have closed, the interview stage is ramping up. We are getting to the point where we're getting a bunch of interviews scheduled. Uh, I think we've each completed at least one, and uh, it's starting to really get rolling. So let's mm-hmm. start by talking about that a little bit. Uh, what's different this year is that for the first time, it's not just the two of us doing the interviews and ending up as empty shells by the middle of <laughs> November or middle of December when we finish interviewing. Well, don't forget, we also have we have two birthdays that happen, two yeah. family birthdays that happen in the middle of it. And since there are children, we can't ignore those. Yeah. Children have this thing about parents remembering their birthdays. So They're really annoying that way. Yeah, one is next week too. So it can be very, very tricky to get that sorted out. Plus, plus best fleets. Because after a best fleets busy day, you just want to go to bed yeah. at about seven. Yep. There's just a lot of talking to people, which is very tiring. Well, we planned better this year. Last year, damn near killed us. We each did like 45 interviews Mm -hmm. and it was a little bit, I guess it was about the same length of period um, that it's going to be this year, the the window that we have to get them done. But we both also had conferences that we were speaking at. at Last year. Last year. So that, it was just a nightmare. And after that, we're like, never again, never again. And plus those pesky birthdays. We're the, still like, they the still happen there every year. They have a way of doing that. Uh, but this year we got smart and we we're like, okay, we're not going to be doing any events, going to conferences or doing any speeches in November and we're going to get help. So we've got help uh, doing the interviews. We've got uh, two staffers that are involved and uh, are getting rolling uh, now, taking on some of the interviews and already it's so much nicer. I look at my interview schedule I've got, I think I got 11 of them scheduled or or one that I completed yesterday and 10 more that are scheduled. And it's not a terrible nightmare. You know, it's not so bad. I probably have, I think I'll probably get 20 or so more that I'll end up getting scheduled and doing, but it is so much better, uh, so much nicer already. That's good. Well, I'm not sure. I think I'm probably going to end up being a little freaked out because I have... I don't have a lot of mine scheduled, so that we shall are all going to come in. Yeah, They're it's all going to be the in. first two weeks of December, and yeah. that will mean that those two weeks are going to be hectic. So, well, some of the ones that I have scheduled already are in December. They're people that have said they get in and schedule early, but they schedule for like the last the week last minute. The last no, I weeks. haven't had that. I've had people they come in and schedule, and then it's you know tomorrow. 
So, yeah, that's been a bit of a that's been a bit of a change where people are scheduling early and doing the interviews early, which I think is a I mean, we tell people to do it early Mm -hmm. to not have to wait till the last minute. I mean, it's much better to get it over with. And uh, I do have a lot of people who've done their questionnaire. They just haven't they just haven't scheduled an interview. But yeah, the program is bustling. It is. We are bustling. And I was doing a review uh, of a couple of questionnaires with our uh, staff this morning, reviewing sort of what's in there, what the fleets have said and what it means, and reviewing the questions that they're going to ask as follow-ups. And this was really interesting because there was two fleets that uh, we reviewed, one that's been on the top 20 uh, more than once, and one, that- and one that hasn't. And you can start to see uh, pretty clearly why that is. Even at this early stage, just looking at the questionnaires uh, before we get to the interviews, before we even get anywhere near scoring them, but you can start to see the differences. So I pointed out a couple of things, but she had noticed things as well. And she's like, oh yeah, I can see like, this is definitely a much better situation than this other one. So that's been uh, uh, interesting. Well, I'm glad because we say that, you know, we say that we can tell really, really early on. And I don't think they really believed us. I don't think people really believe us when we tell them that, you know, you know, very, very clearly, very early on, whether people are going to be in the top 20 or in the running or where they will fall. I mean, sometimes it's incorrect. I did. I was reviewing a, a questionnaire today that I completely had just kind of thought, Oh, no, it's not going to be all that interesting. And I ended up reading the questionnaire going, wow, Hmm. that was like, this is fabulous. Um, So it was a real like, I love those. Those are, Mm -hmm. you know, it's really hard to see people who don't really do very much in the way of programs and they continue to be in the program, but they don't change anything. They just keep on basically saying the same thing. So when you see real changes, it's really really uh, interesting and fun it's it's quite fun so I had I had a couple of like wow this is and in my notes because I always write notes when we review the questionnaires we write a ton of notes on things of what questions we're going to ask the follow-ups and and it's always good when my question is or when I make a note and just say it says wow mm. or you know exclamation points or something like that that's basically it's not that I have any questions about the particular thing that they've said. It's just I'm so impressed by it. Mm-hmm. So. It's something novel or really creative that uh, they've come up with. It's a mm-hmm. really effective thing. Or they have taken what we said to heart because we tell people all the time about how you can become a best fleet, how you can get into that top 20 and, you know, listen to your drivers, talk to your drivers, get a lot of feedback, act on that feedback, tell them what you're doing, put more programs in for to help with their education and their career development and make them feel like they're part of something. And which we say every single year, that's basically the summary of how yeah. to become a best fleet. There it is right there. Yeah. Follow that. You'll be on the top 20. Well, eventually you will be in, if you're not in the top 20, because there's lots of fleets who want to be on that top 20. So it's really who, who can score their 3% higher than you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it means that you're one 
creating an, a really good corporate af- atmosphere. And two, you're pushing the rest of your industry mm-hmm. to do better. And that is really what makes the best fleet stand out of those two things. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So it was nice. It's great to see, especially um, early on. And it's always really good when it's someone you didn't expect and someone new. And Newbies. a small fleet too. Yes. Right? Yes. A fleet that's, that's cool. doubled in size. Nice. Yeah. Well, if they're doing this kind of stuff, I'm not surprised. That is very cool. Yeah. It's very cool. So we are rolling. Um, I am starting to notice a few things. We added some new questions and already I'm kind of intrigued by some of the answers that we're seeing. Uh, one of the questions was about planning for natural disasters with more and more of these things happening, floods and hurricanes and wildfires and all of this other stuff that's happening, that totally impacts the freight industry. So what are these fleets doing to prep for it? Rather than just being surprised and thinking, oh, well, I guess we're not going into this area today. Uh, What are they doing to have a business plan for that? And uh, I guess I've I've been a part of two interviews and then just looked at two other questionnaires and already starting to see some different things that people are doing. We've got some that have a full set of disaster planning and contingency for their head office uh, or for their main terminal. And the thing for drivers is really just sort of watching what's out there. And if it's, if there's a flood or something coming, then we don't deliver into that area. Uh, But that's really about it. Some of them not doing anything at all. Um, one of them that has a pandemic contingency plan, which I thought was interesting. Not exactly what we were asking, but in a whole other thing that needs to be dealt with mm-hmm. as well. What if you have a pandemic and you've got 20% of your staff or 30% of your staff laid out with flu or something? Very interesting. Another type of disaster. So uh, I'm finding that uh, kind of cool. I, I'm very interested in seeing what we get once we have all of the answers in that section. Um, another one that we started asking about is per diems. Uh, what fleets are doing for per diems? Uh, are they paying a driver that? If so, how much? So already I've seen some people that are, some people that say, yeah, we're doing the IRS mandated rate of whatever it is, $63 a day. Uh, other people saying, no, we don't do anything in that area. And some are like, no. Nah. So if it's federally mandated, then why would people not be doing it? Exactly. This is exactly my question. And also there's a Canadian American difference there because in Canada, it's not mandated that you uh, pay per diem, but there are other, uh, there are other things that Canadian fleets are doing in terms of, uh, covering those costs for their people. So it's, it's just, I'm, I'm including those in the per diem question. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're providing any sort of uh, meal allowance, yeah, I mean, it's thing. the same thing. Yep. So Canadian fleets are doing that. It's just not mandated. Or which a is, reimbursement or something like that. Yeah. And what's cards. interesting is that it, it, that's a very unusual federal requirement. Mm-hmm. For the U.S., the U.S. who you know doesn't want to mandate any sort of government oversight on anything, like you know, that's all about staying out of you know the government government overreach. Mm. But that is something that we don't have at all. No, which I think is interesting. Yeah. Well, I wonder if some provinces have it. I haven't 
Well, uh, we have to see. We'll have to see if anybody tells us about it. But I don't think so. I haven't yeah. heard of it in any, like, it has never come up. And it comes up, like, the reason we're asking that question is because it comes up in passing mm-hmm. with American fleets. Yeah. So we're starting to get some good information already. And we're just in the very beginning stages of mm-hmm. collecting it. So shaping up to be yet oh, another interesting year. The other question that we have is, you know, do you provide any personal safety? That one I'm finding very interesting. Yeah. Most of them misunderstand the question. Really? Yeah. We put that question in the work-life balance section because it's really about personal safety and like, and to clarify, personal safety is you and your person, not are you a safe driver? That's what most people are putting in there is they start talking about all of the equipment on the truck to stay safe and how they have safety programs. But no, that's not the right kind of safety. So we're going to have to clarify what we mean by personal safety. You do, though. There, there are there's parentheses examples. there. So we talk about having, as examples, self-defense training or mm-hmm. uh, support systems. But yeah, I've seen a couple. Well, I think of the four that I've looked at, three of them have not um, interpreted the question the right way. Oh, no, all of mine have. Okay. So I think it's going to be 50-50. Yeah, um, but it, that tells me that there's a subject there that people really aren't even thinking about. No, and I think it'll be a really good um, result to talk about at the end is what people are doing or not doing. I know there was an interesting comment about the use of cameras hmm. and that you can turn on the camera when the truck's stationary Yeah, and using that as part of personal safety. Now, I think that they were thinking about it in terms of um, accidents and things like that, backing into your truck, that kind of safety. But that's a bonus, really. If mm-hmm. you have a camera on your truck and you're feeling unsafe, you can record what's yep. going on outside your vehicle. Yeah. So I think that's a, I don't know how that would work in a truck. I don't know if that would be tight, if you would have to have the truck running or if the thing would run by itself. Probably would run on the battery, but it's really only forward facing. That's the problem. It's not catching the sides and the back. It's Depends only on forward. the, no, some people have actual cameras facing in different directions. Yeah, okay. Not many. It's mostly forward facing, but sometimes there's cameras that, that show the whole vehicle. Yeah, that would be, uh, that would be good. But I, uh, I think this is going to be another one where we're going to have a few people that are actually doing something. And then when we talk about it, it'll turn on the light bulb for a lot of others where they'll realize that they've got a gap there. And I have noticed a lot more uh, LGBTQ. Yes, I'm seeing that as well. Uh, yeah, and it, it really was absent for, you know, five years ago. It's been trickling like there's been kind of a steady increase, but it's not been a very big increase, mm-hmm. but it's it's getting more and more prevalent. And I have had the second fleet ever that I've interviewed talk about participating in a pride parade. Oh, second fleet ever. Wow. Both of them are Canadian. Hmm. Um, and there's probably more pride parades to actually participate in in Canada. Like, unless you're living on the coast, I think it's mostly on the or coast. Or the major cities. Yeah, so that's where those things would be. But uh, Well, we happen to be in New Orleans for their Pride Parade in June. Yes, that's right. I don't remember. I, I mean, I didn't really see any. Um, 
I didn't see very much of it. It was kind of crazy. Yeah. New Orleans is crazy. Yeah, that's a different world. Anyway. Yeah, and you're basically, if you're short, <laughs> there's not a lot to see. <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. I know, segment. I know. Things, life while short. <laughs> yeah. Actually, that is a good, that's a good title for a book, Life While Short. Yeah. Things that tall people do not, do not realize. Mm-hmm. Countertops. <laughs> Yes. That come Airport up hassles. that come up to your chest. <laughs> Airport nightmares. hassles. Oh yeah, the hotel with the with the I'm digressing, but it was really irritating the last hotel that we stayed at. There was one of those magnifying mirrors that come out from the wall, mm-hmm. but it only came up out a foot above my head. It didn't it didn't, go it didn't up and adjust down. up and down. Yeah, so it went side to side, but it didn't go up and down. So I, it's it not helping working for me. It's not helping. Yeah. <laughs> But it was great for me for applying all of my makeup. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm glad for you because you need it. Yeah. So. So anyway, Best Fleets. These are, some, we're getting some interesting responses. Uh, that's why we figure out new questions every year. We're very curious people and we want to know. Mm-hmm. And Inquiring we've, minds. We've got more people involved in it. We've got more curiosity and mm-hmm. more things coming up. Different perspectives. So yeah. that'll be good. Yeah. So, uh. It's uh, shaping up to be another interesting year. So I think last time we did the podcast, the nominations were still open. So the official number now is 116 nominations for the year, which is down from last year, which was a record of 140. But traditionally, we've kind of been around 110 to 120. So we're back into that regular, um, regular level. But What's kind of curious is last year we were 140 nominations. The year before was actually very low. It was 100 nominations only. Uh, And then like for the three or four years before that, it was in the 115 to 120 range. Uh, So it's weird. It was staying steady and then it dropped and then it spiked. And now it's dropped down to kind of a historical average level, which I think tells us something a little bit uh, anyway, it tells us a little bit about the state of the economy, the number of people that are nominating their fleets, how happy drivers are, all of those kind of things happening. Last year, there were lots of fleets that were trying to get involved in the program because they were scrambling to find drivers. It was a real crunch. Now the economy has settled back down. Um, it is maybe, depending on who you ask, it is either in a bad state or just a historically mediocre state, but it definitely calmed down quite a bit from last year and the number of nominations are reflecting that. So I kind of find that interesting as well. Like we get a sense of it, um, you know, just in the number of nominations, we can kind of see what's happening in the economy. Mm -hmm. And the few people that I've talked to, a few fleets that I've talked to so far have suggested that as well, that it's not terrible, definitely slower than last year, but not terrible yet. Mm, Yeah. That seems to be what the consensus is. Mm-hmm. But interesting. So um, that's probably going to be followed up on our next podcast with uh, more updates as we get through more of these interviews and have more details on some of the things that are happening. But uh, why don't we talk about some things that have been going on in the training world uh, outside of Best Fleets? Uh, and I feel it's worth noting that Weights and Dimensions is finally out. Well, one part, U.S. With an asterisk on the end, but Weights and Dimensions has been released. Some course with Weights and Dimensions (laughs) in the title is live for some people. Yes, 
to a fanfare of nothing. So I don't know if anybody, I haven't looked, I haven't checked, but uh, it was mostly Canadians who were asking for it. So, <laughs> so we gave I know. So we course. did the, well, the US one was easier. I don't, well, no, that's not true. They were both clunky. They Differently cl- challenging. Clunky, clunky, clunky laws. They are not nice at but, all. Uh, yes, the U.S. Weights and Dimensions course is out. The Canadian one is very close, it seems. Mm-hmm. I just have to do a final test. I, th- I have all the audio, too. I, it's really just a final test and getting it done. So. Oh, okay. I'm hoping to get it done. Well, I was hoping to get it done this week, but I'm going to push it off to next. Next week, for Next sure. week. Next week. And then you also got your safety committee course out. Yes, safety committee course. Uh, the French version is coming uh, shortly. I'm just getting the audio recorded for that. So that will be um, that'll be the second course that our new translator, Fanny, has done. Nice. And yeah, uh, the first one where we've got the audio done that's just getting cut. Good. So they'll probably both be out at the same time. Cool. So we're doing that. There is a uh, food safety for bulk tanker course that is sort of halfway through. It's in its first draft and it should be, we're working with a tanker company that requested it. So we're uh, getting it reviewed by them. Mm, Very good. And uh, yeah, and we're just doing some updates to the U.S. hazmat course. Wow. Yeah. There's a lot going on. Um, and I've been doing the odd tweaking here and there. Uh, I did some tweaks to the violence and harassment course. Um, we have been working steadily, working on our overhaul for defensive driving. You've been working with our 3D animator to get all the animations done. So uh, that's going to be, I'm hoping, the first quarter mm-hmm. of next year. And I think that's it right now. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, there's um Yeah, on the on the uh food safety side there are there's a request for getting um content about security, food security. And I've sort of been thinking about that. And we have security courses, we have hazmat security, we have border security, and I'm thinking that doing a food security may not be too difficult. Oh, that's going to be a lot of different security stuff. That's going to get to be a bit confusing, isn't it? No, because the people, it's different types. It's, you know, it basically it's all an inspection. It's hmm. all doing an inspection. And it's just different places and what you're looking for and the reasons why. So you're still doing the same inspection. It's like the middle of the course would be the same is just the beginning and the end. Hmm. So the beginning would be saying you're doing it because food, you know, you, you don't want contamination of food or you don't want people putting contraband in it and blah, blah, blah. And you have to go across the border. And then here's how you do the inspection. And then at the end, that's why you did it. So it, well, the ending wouldn't even be the same but it's really just the beginning because it was the same thing with border security and hazmat security it was really the same thing so why do we need a separate course because it's not really a separate course it's basically like two custom pages i think Hmm. oh because that's you hazmat security 
people who are doing their TDG certification have to do that, and you have to do that when you're doing your hazmat in the States. So it's not for the content. It's because some other agency wants to check yes. a box with this title in it. Exactly. Ugh. So HACCP in Canada mm-hmm. wants, you know, you know, food security It's required there. FISMA, there's not a requirement for food security training, but crossing the border, that's a whole... Mm-hmm. That's a whole other issue, which is why Canadians want it. So, mm. yeah, it's kind of like defensive driving. We have 50 different defensive driving courses because of all of these different things. They're all basically the same thing. Yeah, it's all basically yeah. the same. Like, same look course, around. Different pictures in it. Yeah, and different scenarios. You know, and their details are different. But, you know, in general, it's the um, the same basic concepts, hmm. just applied differently. But if you're doing training for... If you're doing training for a specific thing, you don't want to take a course that isn't written for that and then right. try and try and make it fit into what you want. I can totally see it. And this is why you have a lot of training companies who do things like, you know, defensive driving across all different kinds of vehicles. Right. Because every single vehicle, even though it's the same basic concepts, that's slightly different applications in every single vehicle. So you get more bang for your course development buck. You get four different titles out of it. Yes, and then we translate them into 12 different languages, so any updates required. We don't actually have 12 different languages. No, I'm, I'm, exa- I'm exaggerating. But Yeah, yeah everybody will be like, oh, Polish, German. You finally got Serbian? Yeah. <laughs> no! But uh, yeah, so that's what's going on on the course development front. And I'm hoping to get a couple new hires. So um, we're looking at, Looking at a position for research and uh, another course developer position. Mm. Now, one thing that you didn't list in there that we do get the, well, increasingly uh, regular requests for is something on cannabis in the workplace. Now that it's legal in Canada, people wanting the course on marijuana and... uh, yeah. And we now have a solution, hopefully, for that. We are working towards a solution. I met with a group earlier this week that uh, does cannabis training that is really all about understanding the regulations and the ever-changing regulations and having uh, some training around it. And so we are talking to them about having some kind of partnership and having that content available, which would solve a lot of problems because... Um, Right now, our position is we want to wait till the dust settles mm-hmm. until these things get solidified. Then we'll build a course on it. But realistically, people are out on the road now having to deal with these things. Workplaces have to deal with it. They have to have policies and figure out what they're doing. Um, so the people that I was meeting with were actually in town doing a presentation on what legalized cannabis means for holiday parties. What is your company policy? Oh. Because everybody's got company policies around alcohol and what they're doing, are they serving it, and all of that kind of stuff. But you think about cannabis is, you know, are people allowed to consume? Are you going to be providing it? Will you be Um, liable if people are in an accident after they Well, and with edibles, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. So did somebody inadvertently mix up your chocolates and throw some laced ones in there, um, that kind of thing can happen. So these are all things that people need to be thinking about. So I listened to that and thought, yeah, this is not a can of worms that we want to open right now. So if we can partner with them and, uh, and do something in that area, then it'll make a lot of sense for us. 
So I uh, have had a quick look at their material and we'll see where we can go from there. But uh, it was it was pretty good. It's pretty good content. Cool. Well, we do that with some other content as well. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we'll get the content and then have a course that we developed that's uh, not necessarily to replace it, but supplement it. Or much more specific. Yeah. And, and once we that. know what the rules are, or once there's some definite rules in terms of what is allowed for drivers, I mean, that's a, that's a crazy... Well, and sometimes the generic courses are good in covering sort of the regular need or checking that box that you've trained people on it. They cover the legal requirements for training, but when we build our own course, it's going to be very specific to the industry. So if you think about fire yeah. safety and fall protection, which were ones where for a while we had licensed content from other providers and uh, we were using that, but it was very generic. And when we looked into the specifics and you looked at what people actually need to do or how they're going to be encountering these things in the workplace, it was very different. So you added in all of this content that would never have been in a generic course. Yeah. So we ended up doing something that fulfills the requirement, but it's way more specific to the use and the situation. More there. beneficial that way. And that yeah. those things are hard to do, man, because it is hard to find information on specific applications. Yeah. So the more, uh, and we've been, I think we've been sort of leaning on our customers more and more in the last few years. And our partners mm -hmm. as well. Just to get information about it. Well, they're out in the, the field dealing with all this all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, the customers are the ones that are requesting it and they know what the issues are and they know where the gaps are with some of these generic courses. So it's a good, uh, good way to address that. But looking at these uh, different courses from outside providers. And there's been a few times actually in the last couple of months where people have asked us to look at their training content and provide feedback. And it's got me thinking about um, what we look for uh, when we're evaluating it, what we, uh, what it is that we see, what we look for to decide if we think this stuff is any good. This is turning the tables a little bit because usually people are looking at our stuff and... Uh, <laughs> And critiquing that and deciding whether or not it's worth buying it. But yes, when we do, I mean, other people do training content. So we have had the opportunity to look at it. And it is, well, one of the first things that we both look for is, are there any objectives? <laughs> any learning objectives here? And yeah. it's funny how often there isn't. Yeah. Well, and that's, I think, is something that I'm going to turn into a LinkedIn article because I'm due to write one. But there are specific things that each of us look for or each of us notice and things that uh, we both kind of look at together. And certainly there's technical things. What does it look like? Um, is it consistent? If it's an online course, which is what we're talking about, other people's online courses, are the fonts different on every page? Uh, are the images grainy and poor quality? Like all of the same stuff. Well, I have to say, PowerPoint. I have to say that fonts are much more consistent than they were 10 years ago. Oh, I think sure. the font soup that you're re re talking about, I don't think that really happens that much anymore. I only see that if it's somebody's PowerPoint and they've uploaded it into our system as a training course, we still see that a little bit, but not so much. You're right. It's a lot more consistent. And also, it also depends on how old the PowerPoint itself is. Because if it's an older deck, it will... It will have worse. I think that Microsoft has actually started 
pushing people towards managing their styles and fonts and things like that a lot better. Mm -hmm. They have had, you know, they thought a little bit about, you know, what they're encouraging people to do and using a dark blue background and yellow lettering, which is used to be the default is now it's a lot cleaner, yeah. <laughs> like and then the fonts. And also it was also Times New Roman was yeah. the default. So if you wanted to actually not have yellow Times New Roman font uh, text on a dark blue background, you had to know how to change the, um, the master slide, yeah, the, the templates. Master. And people didn't know how to do that. They just For want sure. to go in and throw in their content. So yeah. Yeah, that's improved quite a bit. And I think what I'm seeing now is more people using commercial e-learning tools. Yes. So commercial course development authoring tools like Articulate or Lectora or iSpring Presenter and sending us content to evaluate that's based on that. And they all have pretty clean templates. Mm -hmm. So that part of it is checked pretty well. But there are some very basic things that we see that are almost always missing. And yes, the course objectives is one of them. So they'll start this course and they'll never tell you what they're expecting you to learn. So you never really know. You never know what, what the point out of it. Yeah. What's the point of this again? What are we doing? And, and other kind of navigational uh, guideposts, like how long is it going to take me? How long is this course? How many lessons or pages or slides or whatever? Or conversely, what they do is they spend the first five pages explaining everything about the course except the content yeah this is how you navigate All the this is stuff. yeah and this is these are they may have the objectives in there but they have a whole page that's just listing the objectives then they go to the next page and that talks about something else about the course but not the actual course content and then yeah. you go to the next page and it's oh we still haven't started the course but we're going to tell you about the course more about the different elements of this particular package and that used to be standard practice. When e-learning was brand new, uh, it used to be pretty common because everybody was doing it completely different. You needed to have some time where you talked about how the course actually works itself. But now it's standardized. Um, you don't really need that. You could probably have one slide of it that just says, here are the different pieces. Look over here for this and here's what your navigation is going to do. But really, you don't need to tell people what a play and pause button is anymore yes if if they can't figure that out they're in the wrong course so or they need they need someone to help them and reading the text in the course is not going to be how it's forcing them to spend five minutes going through that is not really good use of time so yeah those kind of things we see um the first thing that i tend to notice is the voiceover Uh, obviously uh, being an audio guy that is something that is important to me And I think one of the things I'm going to suggest to people is don't ever record your own voiceover unless you have a background as a broadcaster or a vocal performer of some sort. If you've got a theater training or something, do not record your own. Well, here's the issue, though, is that training doesn't get huge budgets. You know, they're scraping together whatever they can get. So they get their subscription to. Um, Lectora for a year and it gives them all their images and things like that. But there's no budget for voice. I mean, we have, I remember when we first, like 10 years ago, you didn't think we needed voice. And I was like, no, we're going to make voice. Well, for the first version, I thought we could get away without it. And we did. But yeah, within a year, we had audio added to the courses. And I know that my voice 
And I know that your voice, even though we're doing this. We subject people to our voices on this podcast. That's a half an hour. <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing a course. I'm not, I'm not going to narrate a, a course. course. No, you need a quality voiceover person. Yeah, and you also need to take out the breaths. Oh, yeah. That's the and thing the, that Jane notices, number one, is get rid of all of have, the, yeah. Get rid of the breaths. Yeah, like all of the, the artifacts. Get yes. Get rid of all your audible artifacts. And you do that before you... Like Mark does actually does that to the podcast before anybody yep. gets to hear it because we have all kinds of our own uh, noises that are not great. But people have um, they change their volume levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, they smack their lips. They sometimes have dry mouth, and you're <laughs> you're listening to it, going, "Please get a drink of water, please." Yeah. Um, or the one that always gets me is they're always recording in in terrible conditions. Like I can tell. They're yeah. In a, so they're, they're in a wind tunnel and they. <laughs> yeah. Or it's a very echoey office or something. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the first things that I noticed. And but also it's the ability to read. So if you're, <laughs> if you are reading this text about this information that you need to have, it's very intriguing when you read like this <laughs> and people do, people do yeah. that. People are like, I don't know. I mean, I guess you're checking a box that you have audio, but get someone who actually knows how to read out loud. Well, if you're going to do that, just have Siri read it. Yeah, that's a good idea. Because then people know it's uh, mechanical. They know that it's it's synthesized, but they're kind of used to that. And there's more inflection in Siri than there is in a lot of people a lot of people's voice that they record. But again, it does come down to budget. But there are things that you can do like record your, you should be able to record your audio and then be able to edit it separately and put it back in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, take out yeah, the you can egregious get a free audio stuff. Editor and clean up all of that stuff. Just for anybody who's listening, Audacity, A U D, is it I C T? A C I T Y. It's a regular yeah. spelling of Audacity. And that's a really good free one. Mm-hmm. That's one we, it's quick, it's easy to learn, it's, yeah. you know, it gives you everything you need. And don't record in an open, empty office or a noisy space or someplace where there's a lot of hard walls. Um, well, I, you know, sometimes you can't control that, but there are things that you can do. Yeah. It, Jane says that sitting in a makeshift vocal booth. <laughs> it's not that hard. Yeah. I, uh, I don't want to. I was going to say we should take a picture of what this looks like, but throw up some towels or blankets <laughs> around you. Uh Hang them from the walls. That's all you have to do. Yeah. Get a couple of old uh, towels are great. Uh, yes. Mark has ordered multiple towels from yeah, Amazon. Nice ones. Just get a bunch of old the ones. The cheapest two towels. Three, two or three uh, uh, layers. Uh, and yeah, it's really great for deadening the sound. And it's a broad spectrum uh, absorber. So it's not going to make your voice sound really high pitched or really AM radio ish. It's going to be nice and even. So it's cheap and you can just bring them from home. Just go to the thrift store for 20 bucks. You could have something. And I think it's important that if you're going to be reading your own text, then read it like you care about it or that you even have some interest in it. Like try think about when you're reading it. Is that how you would say it? Yes. Learn that content and and speak it in a conversational way. Yeah, because if you wrote it, then you should be able to say it in an engaging manner rather than just sort of droning it out. 
And I think that a lot of people don't like listening to their own voices. Lord knows I don't listen to my voice very often. And I try to avoid it at all costs. Um, But if you are going to be performing for people, which is what you're doing when you're narrating an e-learning module, then you should take a listen to yourself and decide whether or not you think that you're really the best person to do it. Maybe it's not you. Maybe you get somebody who has a great radio voice who does customer service or dispatch or something mm-hmm. like that. Somebody who's got a good phone voice in your Yeah. Office. I mean, there's always people have these great, loud, booming voices. And if they can read decently, then, mm-hmm. you know, grab them. Yeah. So you just have to remember your poor audience. I always think of it like when I'm writing, I actually will start saying things out loud just to hear how it sounds. Mm-hmm. Like, is this crazy? Like, am I making this overly complicated? And Doing that, just saying it out loud, really helps you. It helps in your writing, actually. It helps you to refine it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're basically doing a radio play. So you've yeah. got to tell a story of your content. And it needs to be a compelling story that people are interested in listening to. So the writing needs to be done in a particular way and needs to be thought out and refined and edited and reviewed, which I feel like I need to say. <laughs> Uh, sometimes but yes do all of those things and that's just on the audio just the text track yeah we haven't even started talking about pictures are a whole other thing oh my god the amount of pictures that i have seen that well actually um the most egregious pictures i've seen have actually been in a newsletter and it's from a school it was a school newsletter (laughs) where they have this box that they're putting these pictures into and they never the box is never the right size for the picture. So instead of changing the box or zooming in on the picture, because you can do that, they squeeze and distort. So I remember there's this one of a football team, the my daughter's high school's football team, that where they were all like shrunk. Well, it was they were basically it was just flattened so they all all looked like four feet tall and you know 250 pounds it was very very bizarre but this happens a lot in um with people who don't really know how to use photos is they think that oh i'll just stretch it out or i'll do this to make it fit so instead of using a photo editor which there you can get free ones as well although i use the adobe suite they um they really can make, you can make them, if you don't know what you're doing, you can make a real mess of it. Well, even without that, like I would say, if you're not comfortable with that, just don't edit, just crop them and that's it. Um, yeah, don't, cropping don't is fine. Uh, you want to resize, keep the aspect ratio and resize that way and then crop as necessary. But the larger issue is that a lot of the times we look at these courses and those pictures shouldn't even be there. They really have nothing to do with the content. It's just some random picture that got thrown in so that there's a picture on the slide. You know, what's interesting is a lot of people will throw a picture in. So they put a bunch of text on the page without thinking about what that text means. And then they, so they've thrown that text on, then they throw a picture on to illustrate it. And those are those pages that mean nothing. Yeah. There's no point to them. You have, you know, you're quoting a regulation or you're quoting something and then you get a picture of a happy person. Yay, that's engaging. (laughs) Regulation and happy person. That, tell you a secret, 
that doesn't actually help. <laughs> no one understands so in it better. That example, what do you do instead? Well, first of all, you explain the regulation, and then you should probably have a picture that is obvious. So when you're explaining, so, so say it's um, something about a process, then you're going to use a process diagram. If it's something to do about the passage of time, like hours of service, then you're going to use a timeline or you know some other indicator of time. But if you're explaining a regulation, I guess the first part of it is... Explain, don't the quote part, the regulation. Yeah, get that the regulation is, out of there. Turn it into human language. So my example that I've used a couple of times, and I think with you, is explaining regulations is not necessarily useful to anyone. We know that there's all kinds of regulations. Mm -hmm. If you think about going to the airport and going through passport control, that is chock full of regulations. Or security line. Yeah. Do you need to know them? No. All the regulations. What you need to know is documentation don't be a jackass like don't start talking about bombs and do what you're told yeah i don't need anyone to say anything about any regulation you what you want to say is what is the expected behavior yeah what do i need to do all right i need to get my liquids out put them in a bag (laughs) i need i need to take my shoes off (laughs) but see you may or may not so because sometimes they experiment with different things but that's part of it you know, you don't need to explain the requirements for security of uh, changing their uh, screening on a daily basis, but you do need to explain that it does change and here's why. Like there's going to be some detailed regulation about exactly what needs to change and how often it needs to change. And that's going to be listed in some CF subsection 647.5. That's irrelevant to the end user. Yeah. Yeah. What does it, I mean, sometimes if the end user is someone who has to work in security, then they need, they may need to know those regulations. Or know where to go find those regulations. Exactly. So that's a whole different topic. But if you're talking about training someone to go through a security line in an airport, Mm -hmm. don't care. Don't care what the regulations are. I care what I need to know to get from A to B. Mm -hmm. So when you start looking at content like that, what do I need to know to get from point A to point B? Then your images, what kind of text do you put on the page? Is it in bullet points? Is it, um, you know, how, how is it formatted? That all becomes kind of, you know, in my head, I've done it for so long and I've got so practiced at it. You just automatically do it. So, for example, if there's a list of things that you, so go back to the security line. You may have to do one, uh, you know, four of 12 things. So instead of listing them in a paragraph, you list it in bullets because that's how you do a list easily. Well, and if there's 12, you wouldn't have it all in one list. You break it up into categories. Yeah. Well, I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just giving it a number, but yeah, there you, so the way you write actually, or the way you structure your writing actually helps inform people. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people do instructional designer jobs without knowing how to write very well. Yeah. And that ends up being a a challenge because you don't know how to use a bullet list properly. You don't know uh, when something should be in a process diagram or you don't know how to use a timeline or you don't, you know, you just aren't aware of these things. So there's a lot of visual elements to instruction if you want to do instruction well. And 
I would say 98% of people have no clue about that. They think, oh, this is a nice picture. Mm-hmm. Of- well, you also allude to something else there in terms of structure and design. And this is another thing that we see often enough that we look for it. And that is they have the big picture or the summary stuff at the end instead yes. of at the beginning, uh, which as you pointed out, they write it as they learn it. And so, yes. and then they never go back and restructure it. So I used to do that. I used to, um, because almost every single course you're teaching yourself something, you're never the expert in when you're a course developer, you're never the expert in the content. You're taking everybody else's content and putting it into a course. And for a lot of a lot of the time, you have no idea what this content is. So you're reading it and you're trying to absorb it and learn it to make sure you can put it in the right order and do the right pictures or whatever. So at the end, you get this, you do this lovely summary review thing. And what I realized after reading over a couple of the things that I wrote, I was like, hey, wait a minute, shouldn't I put this at the beginning? <laughs> because it's an overview of what you have to do. Uh-huh. And people want to know that. They want to know the steps. So if you're in an airport, you want to know the steps that are you're going to have to do to get from the door to your plane. And there are, you know, what, five major steps that you have to go through. You have to go, you have to check your baggage or get your boarding pass. You have to go through security. Then you have to go through customs, which I always forget. Not everybody has to go through that. Just us, since all our travel is into the States. Um, Then you go through customs. Then you sit in the gate, at the gate. Then you get on the plane. Then you get delayed at the gate so then you go to the restaurant. And then you sit on the tarmac. And then you, no, but there's like five basic steps. So instead of just listing a lot of different content about those things, and then at the end say, and these are the, you know, here's the steps that you go through. Remember this. Let's do it at the beginning. Well, that stuff should be on the review page anyway, but mm-hmm. you should have covered it at the beginning. You know, here are the five steps. Now we're going to each of the five steps. And at the end, in review, there are five steps. And I have created steps, oh my gosh, for almost every single course that I do. Because there's, it's always this barrage of information, like, you know, for border crossing, you know, there's just so much information that you could do or... Um, I remember on the accident scene course, you had that challenge because everybody had like 11 things that you have to do. At least because each, each thing had like five sub things. So there was this list, these gigantic lists of things that people had to do. And basically you just group it together and make it simple and then say, here are the steps that you take. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the more that you can chunk things up, the better it is um, for people to learn. Well, and that also gives you opportunity to check that knowledge and do quizzes throughout if you've chunked it up. And this is another thing. I mean, we've got a whole, you do a whole webinar that uh, touches on how to do good and bad test questions. Um, but yeah, we look at the test questions as well. And are these ridiculously easy? Are they obvious? Or are they really testing your knowledge? Could you pass this test without knowing the content? And way too often the answer is, yeah, you can test it, pass this test without even looking at any of the material. Oh, yeah. I, I've, um, I do that quite a bit. So as I say quite loudly and to anyone who will listen, I, I often try and pass tests that I know nothing about. Yeah. So these are the things that we think about when evaluating. I mean, those are just the ones that jump out at us right mm-hmm. away. Uh, there are probably 
lots of detailed things if we actually get into it, but I rarely need to go very far into it to start seeing some of these issues. Well, you know, I think I think one of the biggest gaps is that teaching it backwards, having all the important stuff at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing wrong with having all, if you, if the most important thing about going through airport security is checking your bags, which is not, but say it was, then that's first. Well, or actually, waiting at the gate. If that's the most important thing, then put it first. But see, even in your analogy, checking the bags is one of the most important because making sure you've got the right stuff in your checked bag and not all you're not trying to take a bunch of stuff through security that you shouldn't, that is important. Yeah, I think if I was writing a course on that, I think I would talk about um, the issues of putting the wrong things in the wrong places. Mm-hmm. And them, and a lot of the rules that you have to go through when you're going to an airport are about people are putting the wrong things in the wrong places. Yep. And, you know, sometimes that's on purpose. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's by accident. But anyway, knowing what things go where at what time, blah, blah, blah. So I think now we've had that very cathartic dump of our <laughs> opinions when we... uh When we look at somebody else's material and things that certainly you're thinking about when you're putting your own stuff together, that gives some explanation as to why you do the courses the way you do it. Um, So I think that probably is a good time to start thinking about wrapping up. In our next episode, we will have a review of where we're at with the best fleets again. Uh, We will probably have some new courses to talk about then we will definitely have weights and dimensions finished and out all of it done no podcast will be recorded until after weights and dimensions is out there you go next episode six months from now (laughs) no it's going to be out soon so we'll be on our regular schedule so i think we can wrap it up from there okay have a good day it's been a pleasure it's been a pleasure (laughs) 